Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bite on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow, mad cow, mad cow, mad cow, line dance song. Hey, Tongai Nation, welcome to the show here on another Friday afternoon. Tongai along with the coach with the most coming out from coast to coast. He doesn't mean to brag, but he has to boast because his favorite actor of all time is Mike Court's own Marky Post, Coach Mike Jones. Real fast before we jump into it with our guest as we continue on with Author Month with two big hours for you today. If you're looking for some professional wrestling tonight, WCWO at the Outlaw Arena in Indianapolis, Indiana, FGW in Hamilton, Ohio, Freelance Wrestling in Chicago, Illinois, Big Time Wrestling in Fort Gay, West Virginia, ICW in West Allis, Wisconsin, Generation Next Pro Wrestling in Cynthia, Kentucky, and Supreme Wrestling happening tonight in North Vernon, Indiana. Tomorrow night, CPW along with Northwest Pro and NGW and a few other promotions at the Strawberry Festival. You'll find myself and Coach there. Russell Club in Boise, Idaho. Supreme Wrestling back in Madison, Indiana. SAPW in Spokane, Washington. FGPW Bridge. New Era Wrestling in Jackson, New Jersey. NAW in Springfield, Massachusetts. New Era Wrestling in Shelbyville, Indiana. ECW in Pompano Beach, Florida. ZW in Berkshire, Texas. IPW in Muncie, Indiana. Primitive Pro Wrestling having their third anniversary show in Mitchell, NFH, HDW in Niles, Michigan, Backbreaker Wrestling in Griffith, Indiana, NSW in Florence, Alabama, and tomorrow night, ECW, I'm sorry, ESW in Jellicoe. Without further ado, I want to welcome back to the show our guest today is of course, the author of There's No Punchline, an independent wrestling joke book. Nick Iggy, how are you today? Always great. Thanks for having me again. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. You know that. And since we are celebrating Authors Month, uh, I know we've talked about the book in depth on this program many times, and of course, during the big show, 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 but can you tell our listeners what prompted you when you did to write There's No Punchline? Um, I'm, I was always looking for new ways to have merch, whether it was mugs or backpacks or drawstring bags, stickers, koozies, uh, your obvious t-shirts, hats, sweatshirts, uh, gym shorts had it all um but i was trying to think of something that nobody else had and i was like nobody's really done a book before i've seen comic books but never seen a joke book uh and at that time around that time i had 
uh, heard my infamous prom joke. That is the last joke in that book. Um, and I was telling everyone that, and I'm like, you know what? Why not make a joke book? And I was like, how can I make it wrestling related instead of just releasing a normal joke book? Um, and so every joke, there's a hundred jokes in there, a hundred jokes, over a hundred laughs, uh, which means, you know, every joke included a different independent professional wrestler in each joke. Um, and, you know, that's basically how I came about it. I was, I don't want to say surprised, I wasn't really surprised, but I was very glad to see so many wrestlers that I've come into contact with or knew personally or was overly familiar with from this show popping up in the book. You had wrestlers from all over the map. It wasn't just your normal area. You weren't coming up with wrestlers just in one geographical location. They were all over the map. What was the process that you used to be as inclusive as you were to wrestlers from all over the United States? Well, that was my main thing is I didn't want to just do one area. If I did one area, then they might be popular in one area, and it's only going to sell in one area. But the further I go, whether it's people in California Canada, down in Mexico, uh, Shaz Kenzie in Australia. Um, the more I did it around, the more buzz it's going to get and the more people are going to talk about it. That way it spreads it out. That way everyone's hearing about it instead of just one general area. Um, so I just kind of like made a list of like certain people in certain areas that like were better known. Um, and I reached out to every single one asking, hey, you know, I'm doing this joke book. I would love to include you in a joke, uh, but I don't want to do it without your permission. And nobody said no. Um, everyone I messaged messaged me back, except Alex Zane. Um, but I don't think he ever read it. It was, it was never on read or anything. That's the only one I remember that, that didn't even read the message. So no big deal. Um, and this was going back... Uh, maybe very late 2019. Uh, yeah, probably late 2019 is when I asked everyone because by the time I got everything done and ordered uh, and made, I got them in probably mid-March uh, of 2020. And I actually got all the books the week before COVID shut everything down. Now, the listeners to this program and the viewers of The Sign of the Times will be very familiar that this wasn't your first foray in the books. You previously came out with a series of comic books back in the Team IOU days. Did you find that having done the comic books sort of prepared you for writing the joke book as far as knowing what needed to be done and how to handle the publishing of it and things of that nature, or was it a completely different animal? It was completely different. Uh, honestly, I think the joke book was much easier um, because with the comic books, 
it was like me, the artist, and another guy, Joe Carroll, that were involved trying to get it all done. And with the comic book, uh, there's obviously much more pictures. Uh, and then you have to think of a storyboard, and you have to get, tell a story within X amount of pages, uh, as opposed to the joke book. Uh, I just knew I wanted to get a, a hundred jokes, um, and I could have spread those over three pages if I wanted. I could have spread them over 20 pages, 30 pages. So I feel like with the joke book, I had more freedom uh, to kind of do what I wanted, what I wanted to do with that. Uh, and it was just kind of me kind of handling everything where I didn't have to deal or get permission with anybody else uh, or permission from anybody else. So I think the, I don't know if the comic book really prepared me for the joke book because um, they were two very different beasts in that sense. Now, speaking of Beast, Beast Barnett, of course, received a copy of There's No Punchline, an independent wrestling joke book, and then he was gifted with a few rolls of tapes to prepare his ribs in case they were to break from laughter. Did you have a lot of people that were complaining of their ribs? I I did get some complaints. Uh, I did get some lawsuits. Fortunately... Fortunately, none of those held. Uh, I was able to just laugh my way out of it. Um, yeah, no, definitely a, a lot of bruised ribs. I don't think they were broken ribs, but a lot of bruised ribs. And a lot those of can be ribs. very painful. I've had a few. Uh, you and I both. Alf, like you were saying, once... COVID hit us, it changed the world, which includes, of course, the wrestling world, and things in large part were shut down for various amounts of time, depending on where you were located and what the local regulations were. I know you took some time off uh, from wrestling for a while during this. Did you find that the time off seemed to help you as far as getting over injuries and burnout and that type of thing, or was it a situation that made things a little bit worse for you because you weren't in your regular routine? Uh, As far as injuries, I feel like it was great for me because it had a lot of time to rest and relax and a lot of nagging pain and a lot of nagging injuries that I did have. I'm not having those anymore, uh, which has been phenomenal, uh, where where I'm not worried after a match, like where I have to douse myself in BioFreeze or Icy Hot or anything like that. Um, So having all that time off was great. Uh, You know, it it did suck because it's what I've known most of my adult life, traveling three, four days a week, uh, and that's where I made supplemental income, um, which was nice. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I'm, it was kind of needed because I don't think I would have taken that break myself if the world didn't shut down. Uh, I feel like with everyone, like, it was kind of like their, their enjoyment was taken away from them um, and their escape and some people's jobs. I mean, some people did this for a living. Um, so without that, like, they had nothing, fortunately for me. I had a shoot job uh, that was taking care of me, and, you know, wrestling was always 
my escape from that in the real world and everything. Um, unfortunately, in that sense. Now, I mentioned Team IOU, and of course, that evolved into the Carnies, and the Carnies eventually evolved into a three-man unit at one point. And you went wrestling and ended. What was that? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was saying, like, the world kind of shut down, um, and then when the world slightly opened back up, wrestling shows were still running, so you had this new crop of wrestlers uh, being known and kind of being seen weekly and heard of weekly on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, your, your various independent promotions. And I was kind of like, well, everything we worked for is kind of like swept under the rug at this point. So I kind of went through a phase of like, you know, do I, do I want to come back to wrestling? Do I want to hustle as much as I, I did uh, before and be away from my family every week and not be able to see my wife uh, and go to events. Um, so I went through like a real rough patch of like, am I going to actually return to wrestling? Uh, and I played with that for a while. And, you know, at one moment I was like, you know what, if I don't go back, I think I'll be okay. Because I did a lot of really cool things that I never should have done or that nobody ever expected me to do. Um, so I'm happy where my career went. Um, since your return, and let's be very clear, I'm very happy that you did return, and I'm always excited to see you in wrestling, no matter what form or fashion. You came back primarily as a singles competitor, whereas in years past you were known primarily for being part of either a tag team or a faction. What's been the change, if any, as far as what you have to do to prepare, what kind of bookings you're getting, things of that nature, being a single as opposed to an established group? Well, (coughs) for that, uh, yeah, as a tag team in the Carnies, or a trio as the Carnies, it was always a little easier later after we established our name and already got over the way we did. So working singles was a little harder, especially having to kind of start at the bottom again. Um, the training is definitely more cardio uh, because it was always pretty – with four people in the ring in a tag match, you're not doing as much. So in a single, it's just two of you. So I, I, I learned that the hard way. Uh as far as bookings and whatnot, I'm not going crazy with them. I'm maybe one every weekend or so, maybe every other weekend. Um, this week I actually have three, which is very different for me, a uh, loaded weekend for me. But at this point in my career, I'm I, I just – I realize at this point that most likely I'm not going to get signed. And I'm okay with that. So I don't feel like I want to hustle uh, and grind as much as I did. At this point, I just want to have fun and enjoy wrestling. Um, So I'm not too worried uh, about being booked every single weekend or working your main shows that are going to be seen by everyone in the world or your biggest independent shows or wrestling the best athletes in the world. 
Uh, at this point, I, I, I'm just happy to entertain um, and kind of do what I always wanted to do as a kid and just wrestle and be a sports entertainer instead of trying to grind and get so down and depressed when, like, I was so close to reaching a certain goal and it never happened. And this might, I don't want to say, like, is the best uh, I feel in wrestling, but, like, the, the most stressless. Like, there's no stress this time around wrestling, uh, being a singles competitor. Um, and I miss tag wrestling. I miss teaming with Carrie. I miss teaming with Trip. Um, but I know they've got their certain things going on, and, you know, me and Carrie are actually teaming uh, a few weeks, two, three weeks maybe for the first time in over two years. So that'll be nice to actually do that again. Um, but just, you know, doing single stuff has been real fun because I can just focus on me and what I want to do specifically. I say uh, you're okay if you don't get signed. Of course, in wrestling, you never, ever say never. You could be signed tomorrow for all we know. But True. You and Carrie did appear on Ring of Honor a few times, and that, of course, a national company. Ring of Honor was sold in the last few months. It's a completely different animal than it was a year ago. When you look back working for Ring of Honor, even though you weren't necessarily a signed contractual performer there, did you consider that something of a milestone knowing that you were asked to be there for a national company? Oh, without a doubt. Like, that was definitely a milestone, and I, I think one of Monty Carey's best experiences was doing that Ring of Honor camp um, and getting all the input and insight that they gave to us there because they gave us all the tools uh, to succeed. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, def- definitely a milestone. I don't think there's anything that I would change uh, look, would I love to have been signed? Would I love to be on a national contract? Obviously. Um, but, I mean, I, we got to do it, and we got to do things at Ring of Honor that everyone else can't say that they did. I feel like that was probably our uh, most viable option at the time. I didn't think WWE was a, an option, um, but I think Ring of Honor was a very realistic goal, and just for – certain reasons, X, Y, and Z, it just didn't work out, unfortunately. No shame in that, of course. I'm, you guys did pop up from time to time on WWE programming. Uh, I would turn on the WWE Network and double take as I would see you and Carrie on occasion. But when you get to do shows like that, like the Ring of Honor and extra work at WWE and things of that nature. After that experience, do you find that promoters are contacting you more to bring you in while you have that exposure, or do you see that promoters are afraid your rate has gone up because you went on the TV, so you actually get less calls? How would you see that once you did do the spots on the national company? 
definitely got more contacts for bookings uh, because they can contact us and because they want to use us. I don't think they're afraid that our rate is going up because they probably don't know our rate at this time. So different companies are just kind of reaching out and being, hey, you know, we see you're doing this. We have interest in you. Uh, we want to bring you in. Uh, at the same time, it's like we've always had these skills. We've always been this good. We've always been this entertaining. We, we've always drawn an audience in. Um, so the fact that you only want to use us now that a national company wanted to use us, in a way, to make the decision. So it's because they have the TV deal. We're, we're just as good whether we were doing these these uh, shows or not. Um, I mean, that's at least my way of looking at it. Uh, and, and, of course, it, it kind of, like, pushes you in the eyes. Um, but a lot of people already didn't know who the Carnies were, but they didn't want to take a chance on us until they saw us on that Ring of Honor or pop up from time to time on the WWE. One of the things that I will never, ever forget, no matter how many head injuries I've suffered, I was on a show with you in Corbin, Kentucky, for John Bullard, and you were looking for your lawyer offer, and once you found Carrie and the two of you reunited in the ring, there was not a dry eye in Corbin, Kentucky, either side of the curtain what was going through your mind at that point i knew you were still kind of young in your career but to get a reaction like that from having to do so little physically what was going through your mind i think that's like one of the moments where i realized that wrestling is so much easier than we make it um, and that's why that's why I always wanted to be a wrestler, to entertain and to draw that emotion from people. Uh, and I I don't think I love wrestling. I love the wrestling aspect of it, obviously, but I think the simplicity of it uh, is so much more enjoyable. And just seeing people invest in an actual storyline. Um, over, over, I think we were doing that for two to three months where I'm looking for my lost puppy, Carrie Awful, and it was so easy. I didn't have to wrestle. I was just looking for my lost puppy. And then when I finally found him, and everyone just, like, jumped for joy, so excited that, that, that a young boy find it, found his dog. It's like a, it's like a Disney film. Uh, and just the storytelling is so much more important when you tell a long story like that instead of, like, a one-off wrestling match, which you can still, still tell a story in, but a lot of wrestling matches are just a throwaway one-time match. But I like the long, drawn-out stories where you, where you can tell that like we, we did. Now, for the fans that aren't overly familiar, you're out of the Tennessee area, and you've wrestled Tennessee, Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, uh, that general region, but you've connected with fans from all over the country. People from all over the United States have bought merchandise from the Carnies or from uh, you personally, so forth, so on. A lot of wrestlers 
don't seem to leave their area and they don't seem to get noticed in different areas. They're content with their little pocket. But you have sort of a built-in fan base where you've sold the books and the comics and you've been known just from the buzz of the carny, so fans know who you are even if you've never really been in a place. When you go to a different company or a different location where you haven't appeared before, do you find that it's easier to get that crowd because there is an instant fan base compared to other wrestlers on the show that may be coming in and they don't have that same type of buzz, they don't have fans that have purchased merchandise and wanted to see more of that person? Um, I think having that set fan base is always makes it a little easier because they already know who you are. Anytime you go into a new territory and nobody knows who you are, it's going to be a little more difficult uh, to get the crowd behind you because, you know, a lot of times people don't like or trust the new person. But I feel like one thing I've always been good at, uh, me and Carrie, when we're we've always put the crowd behind us in one night. Very easily, that's one thing that we excelled at uh, and still excel at to this day. Just how. Well, at this point in time, my co host, the coach with the most, Coach Mike Jones, is standing by, and I know Coach has questions for you, so I'm going to tag out to Coach for a bit. Perfect. Hey. Coach Mike Jones, the coach of the most, coming at you from coast to coast, live here in Puyallup, Washington. How you doing, brother? Doing wonderful, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I, I had the pleasure of enjoying your book. Sign guys read it to me a couple times when people's no-showed, and it's barrels of laughs. And then uh, it's an honor to have you on. You know, we've been going 10 years strong with over 1,700 shows. Man, we appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'll, I'll always love being on here. And then, so, who were some of your heroes growing up, whether it was wrestling, ordinary life, or sports? Uh, number one, uh, wrestling-wise, got to say Shawn Michaels. Uh, wrestling-wise, Oh, you're breaking up. Oh, Nick, you still with us? Oh, Nick Iggy, did we lose you? Yep, he he dropped the call. Hopefully he'll call right back, Coach. Okay, cool. Now, Coach, do you know how Sonico exits a room? I forgot. You forgot that Sonico uses a lucha door? Oh, yes, of course. I've got a lot going over here at the Coach's Corner Training Center, the home of the NGW Green Room Media. Are you painting all the walls green? (laughs) Most of them are, yes. Okay, good. Now, Coach... Did you know that Cole Radrick has been learning sign language? It's pretty handy. 
Nice. And it looks like we got yes. Nick Iggy back. All Sorry right. I am I am driving, so I must have hit a rough patch. Okay, yeah. I was wondering why you didn't answer my first time, but no Sorry. problem. I went right on right on to the next one. I you might have heard it. Yeah, you were starting to answer not. who some of your heroes who some I, of your heroes I, I were, was, yeah. Wrestling wise, Shawn Michaels, the Hardy Boys, uh Billy Gunn, The Rock. Anyone born in the nineties is gonna say D Generation X, all them. And then, of course, my parents, they have instilled so much in me. They raised me in a way that I am forever grateful for. I know raising kids can't be easy, uh, but, but they definitely, uh, I look up to them in so many ways for all they've done for me. And, of course, my two older brothers, who I look up to, and they're, they're two of my best friends. Uh, so just family, you know, got to go with family. Family's the most important thing. Right on. Okay, and then I'm not sure if Sign Guys asked you before, but since you guys have a long history, he probably has, but one of our main questions on the show is, I guess I don't know, so I can still ask it, what is your favorite coffee to drink? My favorite coffee to drink? Oh, you know, I'm I'm like a black coffee drinker uh, in the morning, but... If I'm, like, on the road, if I go to Starbucks, I'm probably going to get, like, a caramel frappuccino. All right. Right on. Okay. And then what were some of the most memorable matches you've either seen or been involved with? Oh. Oh, wow. I don't, you know, that's a good question. I think I think one of my – one that I hold in high regards is uh, – IWA Mid-South, it was the Carnies versus the Hooligans versus B-Boy and Homicide, uh, because we weren't even working for Ian at that time. We did, and then we left, and then he announced the match, and we're like, guess we're back. Anytime we've wrestled the Hooligans, uh, I will put the Hooligans as my favorite tag team to wrestle, uh, without a doubt. Um, The Ring of Honor shows, we got to wrestle the boys, uh, the Tate Twins, uh, at the Municipal Auditorium and just growing up, seeing so many live events, WWE live events in that building, uh, it was really cool to be able to wrestle in that same arena, uh, which was amazing. Uh, and I think another big thing for me was uh, me, Carrie, and Tripp got to do King of Trios in about 2019. Uh, and that was like a real a cool cap-off moment for us because – We've been told so many times, oh, you'd be perfect for Chikara, perfect for Chikara, our whole entire career. Uh, and it never happened. But then years later, 2019, not only are we getting to be in Chikara, but we're actually getting to be in King of Trios, uh, winning the first round, being eliminated the second round, uh, having some really fun matches there. Um, and I think our first time we actually did Chikara, maybe like a year before that, me and Carrie versus Crumbles and Defarge. Uh, that's one of my favorite matches I've had there. Uh, man, you know, I got to work uh, Billy Gunn and Dame Storm with Carrie maybe three, four years ago. And Billy Gunn, again, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. So that was a really cool moment. Uh, you know, I, 
it's hard to pinpoint just one favorite match. Um, but I think that's a good hodgepodge of, of different matches that I really enjoyed having. All right, what about have have seen in your life? Mm. You know, I'm not. I think the first one that that's coming to mind, like seen live, or just any match. It's just either way, live or on TV. I know live is always better than on TV or video, but either way. True. I, I think my. My favorite match of all time is going to be uh, Triple H and Shawn Michaels from SummerSlam from uh, 2002 uh, when Shawn made his big return. It was like a non-sanctioned match. Uh, that, that's got to be up there for me in my top three just because of the story. Like The match was fun, but the story that led up to it and, and everything they told in that had to been one of my favorite matches. Uh, Sean versus The Undertaker, obviously, those two are great. The first one, obviously, better. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, independent wrestling matches that I really enjoyed. I think anytime Gary J is in a ring, uh, I'm always going to go out of my way to watch it. I think he's one of the guys that, if he's on a show I'm on, like, I will always go out of my way to watch his matches. Same with Jason Kincaid. I feel like Jason Kincaid uh, is one of my favorite independent wrestlers and so underrated. Uh, I can't, I'm not naming a certain match, obviously, but I just got to say, him in general is, is just so underrated and so inventive. Uh, and everything about him just, like, speaks superstar. Okay, awesome. And, you know, I've heard of Jason Kincaid, but um, what was the other guy's name again? Jerry? Gary J. Jerry J. I haven't haven't heard about him yet. And it's really nice because we do check check them out later on, and it's nice to get recommendations to check out Superstars. Appreciate it. Yeah, Yeah, he's based out of St. Louis. They're actually having their big bingo cup uh, tournament this weekend in St. Louis, so that'll be good. Okay, and then, so you've got two publications, right? Your comedy book and your, uh, your uh, other, your, uh, what's the other one? Your comic book and uh, joke book. Comic, comic book and joke book. So, uh, now, how did you do those? Self-publishing or through Amazon or what? Self-publishing, all on my own. And that's not cheap, is it? No, not cheap, but uh, we got it done, especially with the sales. After after all the sales, we still came out in the green, which is always ideal. Right on. Okay, yeah, because uh, I started to write my own book myself. I'm in the middle of my book, in my mother's book at the same time. And I hired a book, co- book coach named Patrick Snow, best-selling author. He's a marketing coach, book coach, publishing coach, mentor. And then slowly I found out you don't even need one of those. You can just go through Amazon and do it all for free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, hey, yeah, you live and you learn. And he, I'm sure he's got good tips and he's helping out along the way. Oh, yes. And he got me all lined out what I needed. And he's got so much motivational stuff and guidance. And I can always call him. He's always available. 
and, and he's a great guy. So you know, it wasn't that it was a bad investment or nothing. It was just you don't you don't know till you jump in there. Exactly. And then, so what? What's some of the other characters that have, you've worked in wrestling besides the Nick Iggy? Iggy? Oh, you cut out there. Say that again. What's some of the different characters you've re- worked in wrestling besides Nick Iggy? Uh, you know, I started just kind of the whitey baby face. face. Uh, I did uh, a boy trapped in a man's body. Uh, all these were Nick Iggy, just different characters. You know, I was a boy trapped in a man's body. Uh, Carrie was my tag team partner. She was a, a dog trapped in a man's body, uh, very much Adventure Time-esque. Uh, any any cartoon with a boy and a dog, always a good story right there. Um, we went ahead. I was the down south dandy, just like a, a very prim and proper, always filing my nails, wearing suit jackets, uh, kind of advanced from that to uh, the carnies because, you know, everyone called us southern carnies from Tennessee. Oh, oh they're no good. They're just carnies. So we just were kind of like – going by that being two guys, you know, using a, a negative word and turning to a positive, and then we just took that a step further and said, well, you know what, let's make this character based, and decided to do the uh, carnival gimmick, where I was the ringleader, and he was kind of my monster, and Trick was kind of like the sideshow uh, side freak, uh, and now, you know, I am the most humble man in professional wrestling, uh, just having a whole lot of fun with that right now, so... Uh, I at one point before I returned to wrestling to see if I wanted to come back and do it again, I was under a mask uh, as the Lucha Dork, um, dressed very nerdy uh, with a Lucha mask. Uh, so I had a, a few different characters. I just, you know, always always Nick Iggy, just evolving. Wow, that is really cool. I'm trying to find words to describe what I get out of that. It's like. It's amazing, you're unique, really special, and if I ever get a big company, I might want to sign you up to be part of our creative. I think you should. Definitely, my goodness. And then, uh, what did you uh, play sports growing up or in high school? No, not really. Uh, I mean, growing up, you know, as a kid, baseball and soccer, one-year basketball, uh, that's in, like, middle school, not middle school, elementary school, uh, then middle school, nothing, and then in eighth grade, I did wrestle in the eighth grade, um, but I didn't do anything after that, you know, and I was going to the high school, and I'm like, you know what, I want to focus on high school, I don't want to focus on any sports, so, no, you know, I just, just the one year of, uh, wrestling in eighth grade. All right, Awesome. And then, what about what's your self-defense background? Uh, run. Okay, yeah. That's that's my self-defense. Kick, kick them in the nuts and run. Get out of there. Exactly. Everyone comes with. <laughs> everyone comes with street fighting and caveman, and then of course, don't forget fight or flight. That's a natural you know, one. Exactly. Look, I'm not a fighter to begin with. I don't see any reason to get an actual fist fight. Uh, I, I think it's silly just because you said something wrong or whatnot. People people overreact. So I'm like, you know what? Talk them down. This is not worth it. Why are we fighting? This is stupid. 
Uh, and then if they do want to fight, well, you know, there's no such thing as a fair fight, so I'm going to do what I can to get out of there. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I got one for you. I'll give them the I'll give them the rag doll. That's one they don't teach. And what is the rag doll? Yeah, you pick them up and shake the hell out of them, and then drop them on <laughs> their head if you need to. Yeah, I. Whatever works, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. All right. So, uh, who are some of your favorite people to work? Calvin Tankman is going to be the first one that comes to mind. I had a a long program with him at Bizarro Lucha a few years ago. I, I think he is so good at what he does, uh, especially for being a bigger guy. Uh, he, he moves like a cruiserweight, but he knows how to carry himself like a heavyweight, which is awesome. Jaden Newman, I could wrestle him every day of the week, uh, and I think sometimes I have wrestled him every day of the week. Uh, you know, the hooligans aren't tagging anymore, but they, again, they were my favorite tag team to wrestle. Um, you know, I, there's no one that I don't want to wrestle. You know, I, I'd love to, I'd love to wrestle everyone because I feel like we're all obviously artists and we can make different art and different paintings together uh, that are all going to look very different and just kind of like complement each other's styles. Or if one person's used to wrestling one way, the other one's going to put their input in and, and, and switch it up maybe give them some new ideas for, for future matches. So uh, I, I love wrestling everyone and anyone. That's impressive. Nice. Okay, so who are some of your toughest opponents you faced? Tough. I, I got to go with Calvin Tankman again. Tough as hell. Tough as nails. Really, he is. Mance Warner. Uh, <laughs> Mance, Mance is tough. Uh, I will definitely be uh, maybe, maybe those two. Uh, I'd throw in the top two. Okay. And then what are some suggestions you have for people uh, trying to get into the business? Uh, don't take yourself so seriously. Like, wrestling is... It's sports entertainment, but, you know, focus on what makes you happy. Focus on why you're doing this. Are you doing this to get a contract, or is it a dream, and it's something you've always wanted to do? Uh, Have fun while you're doing it. You know, everyone talks about, like, the three E's in wrestling. Like, you you need to get your expenses, you need to get uh, exposure, or you need to get experience. Uh, And if you get two of those three, it's good, but, like, this year, lately, I've added a 30, and that's enjoyment. Because if I'm not enjoying it, like, why am I doing it? So I think my biggest advice is make sure you're enjoying what you're doing. Uh, and don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah, what a blessing. Nice nice advice. And then do you got some schools you'd like to suggest? i got to go with Crux, Crux Wrestling. Uh, Nashville, Tennessee area, Alcoa, I believe, uh, directly. Kerry Awful's training there. Uh, <laughs> he's been doing, I think, Sunday mornings. He's started doing some morning classes, um, some different afternoon classes. So definitely check out Crux Wrestling. Uh, they've got some great talent coming out of there. Also, the TWE Performance Center down in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Jaden Newman's leading that class. 
Um, you know, I, I, I can go ahead and name a bunch of schools, but I, I got to keep those two close to heart. I got to be push those two more than any, uh, just because I feel like they're doing such a phenomenal job with with their kids. Okay, what an honor. And then, uh, what do you got coming up? Uh, what do I got? I mean, tomorrow, Saturday, I got uh, Valley Championship Wrestling in uh, Durham, Tennessee. I got Southern Underground Pro Sub Graph Sunday uh, in Nashville. Uh, weekly Uncharted Territory, which you can catch on IWTV, uh, independentwrestling.tv. Uh, every Monday down in Chattanooga at the TWE Arena. Uh, I've got some TWE dates coming up. I'm down in AWE in Atlanta in July. Um, and other than that, just kind of hanging out and doing my thing. All right, on. And then how do people get a hold of you? Uh, you know what? Uh, Nick Iggy underscore on Twitter. Uh, and then Nick Iggy everywhere else. Okay. Yeah, I did send you a friend request. It would be an honor to be your friend. That way on I can Facebook? find you when I get... Yeah, that's that way I can find you when I go big. Well, I will go check it. That way I can be hired on for creative. Definitely, brother. You're the man. <laughs> All right. We appreciate you coming on. And I, oh, I had one other question. Yeah. What suggestions would you give people wanting to get into publishing? Take a chance. I feel like some people are, are so worried about, like, the negative outcome or uh, – Maybe they're, they're afraid of losing money or maybe they don't think their idea is good enough. Just be confident in yourself because you know what you're doing. Uh, if you don't know, ask questions. But, like, take that chance because if you don't take that chance, you might ask yourself, what if? And maybe the greatest thing you never did. All right. Hey, thank you so much. It's been an honor and a pleasure having you on. I'm sure Sign's got some more questions for you. But I'm going to wish you all the luck in the world, brother. Thanks again. Hey, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Coach. Well, Nick, you mentioned Jason Kincaid is one of your favorite sports entertainers. He is also one of mine, the same show where you found your lost dog, Carrie Awful, I was able to meet Jason Kincaid for the first time, and my first words to him were, I'm a very big fan of yours, and he continues to this day to impress me every single match he's had. He's worked for Evolve. He's had matches on Ring of Honor television when they were uh, syndicating on Comet TV as well as on the Sinclair Broadcast Station. He might be the most underrated person I have ever come into contact with as far as how underrated he is as a talent, and he is rated very, very highly by most people that see him. He's just so far above everyone else, I think, that it's hard to rate him fairly in comparison. What do you... Personally, take away from his matches when you get to watch him. Do you find yourself learning things that you wouldn't have known otherwise if you hadn't seen him do it? Yeah, I think just 
he's so innovative, and I think that's the thing that is, is so great about him is that every time you watch his match, you're going to see something different that you haven't seen before. Um, and half of the things he's doing, I can never do in a million years. Uh, so I, I wouldn't even try to do those things. Um, but I, I, I do always learn from him and just kind of how his mind works uh, with not doing wrestling the same way that everyone does wrestling. Like, you have to do it X, Y, Z. You have to do this move this way to get into it this way or that way. But he has, like, hundreds of different ways to get into moves, hundreds of different ways to do certain moves. And it's always so entertaining because you'll never see the same thing multiple times from him. 100% agree with you there. Now, one point that we haven't really brought up much today you, of course, were one-third of the co-host, along with myself and Beast Barnett, on the Big Show Show Show, where we would review the Big Show Show. We even ended up in one of the last episodes having one of the stars of the show join us for an interview, which was mind-blowing to me, but we ended up there. What was the experience for you like being a co-host on the Big Show Show Show? Greatest experience of my life. Greatest TV show ever to hit the airwaves. The Big Show Show Show. Uh, no, that was that was a fun time. You know, I never hosted a podcast or anything, so that was good just to watch the episodes, uh, enjoy it, kind of talk back and forth instead of just in private. We got to kind of put it out there on the the internet, uh, the podcast world. I, it was a fun time, indeed. And when you first started watching the Big Show show, did it dawn on you at that point, eventually I'm going to be interviewing one of the people in this cast, and she'll be on the Big Show show show? They never thought that would happen. So I, I don't know if you pulled the strings or Beast pulled the strings, but bravo on that. I think he suggested and I threw out the invitation and got the acceptance. But either way, it was a collaborative effort, I think, through the whole era of the Big Show show. Now, uh, one of the stars of that show... Uh, Raylan Castor has gone on since the Big Show show was not picked up by Netflix, and she joined the cast right. of The Young and the Restless, which is a daytime soap opera that goes back many decades. And she's doing big things now. When you look at something like The Big Show show, do you see parallels kind of to your own career where it was maybe not necessarily completely mainstream, but there was a big audience for it, and people within that world were able to go on and do big things in some of the mainstream things? Yeah, I think you can see a parallel with almost anything, um, depending on how you twist it. Um 
but yeah, I mean, the big show show wasn't like the biggest uh, well-known show. It wasn't being seen by everyone in the world, but you know, it still had its dedicated crew that watched it each each episode that that made podcasts on it, such as ourselves. Um, and it had its kind of like its niche market, which was nice. Um, and with her being on that show, it was a niche market. And then going on to be bigger and maybe better things. Uh, and you're having more eyes on you and people that are following her career. Like, I'm sure she's drawn people from the big show show to watch The Young and the Restless because of her. And I feel like that's with any independent wrestler. You know, they could be wrestling this one smaller show. And because they get on a, a bigger show, it might draw more fans that wouldn't have watched that bigger show just solely based on that one performer. I agree with you there 100%. Well, as we kind of wrap this up with you, I want to give you a chance. If there's anything you would like to say to the listeners, plug and promote anything and everything, merchandise, upcoming appearances, social media, your favorite radio station, anything you like, floor is yours. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to follow me, at Nick Iggy underscore on Twitter, Nick Iggy everywhere else. Uh, you know what? Come see me wrestle. Go to TV, watch Uncharted Territory on IWTV, and uh, just be a good human being. Like, it's not that hard. Take care of each other. Don't treat people differently just because they look differently than you or act differently than you or have a different sexual orientation than you. Like, just be a good human being. It's really not that hard to do. Absolutely. Nick, it was a pleasure. As always, you're welcome here anytime. Best of luck. Hopefully, at some point in 2020, our paths will cross again. Of course. Thank you so much for having me again. Always a good time. Always a quick hour that flies by when we chat. Absolutely. Hey, Nick. Nick. You got something else, Coach? Yes. Yeah, I want to say I got my own podcast, too. I've been honored and blessed to be co-host for, like, almost 10 months now on here. I've taken QT's place until he comes back. And in... Lately, he's no-showed us. We hope he's doing good. But I got my own show called the Coach Mike Jones Show Podcast. I would love to have you on sometime. What was that? Oh, I think Nick hit a rough patch in the service again. Okay. I can message him. Okay. Oh, hello? You guys there? Oh, there oh, we yeah. go. Yeah, there That's you Nick. are. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I said, I said, go ahead, shoot me the details, and we'll get something figured out. All right, cool, yeah. I appreciate it. And then every, everyone can get a hold of me at Coach Mike Jones on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, don't forget to check out the Real School Army and the NGW Green Room for interviews from people all over the world. And then we also got the Seattle Mariners and Cincinnati Reds organizational report that myself and Sign Guy do. 
And if you're looking for a vehicle in the Northwest, check out SNS Best Auto and tell them Wild Lyle and Coach Mike Jones sent you. Don't forget to check out Big Boys Towing if you need a tow and tell them the coach with the most sent you. And I just did a good interview last week on Seattle Sports Union. Check it out. It's got thousands of uh, listens already, and it's been an honor to be on there. Thanks so much, Nick. Thank you, guys. All right. Nick Iggy, always a pleasure. Safe travels to you. Get home safe to your family, and we will talk to you soon. Take care, y'all. All right, fans, if you're not familiar with Nick Iggy, rectify that. Buy his book, There's No Punchline, an independent wrestling joke book, available wherever fine books are sold. And, Coach, it is time for our second big hour as we continue on with Authors Month. We are joined by yet another man who has written multiple books. He is coming back to the show after way, 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 way too long of an absence here. One of my favorite people to see at an event, and it's been way too long since that has happened as well. But Matt Legit, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, it is always a pleasure to be with the host with the most and the coach with the most, Mike Jones, sign guy. Oh, you guys are the toast of the coast. That's the truth. Thanks, we brother. try to be because Coach's favorite all-time actress is Marky Post. Well, and I don't yeah. blame him. That part was an amazing show. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, Matt, as I said, you have come out with multiple books in the last few years, and it's been a while since you've been on here, so we have not heard. How did you decide to start writing books well the truth is i got fed up with trying to make comic books and so i said you know rather than spend all these thousands of dollars on sequential art just to tell this one short 30 page story why not just uh, start writing novels and putting those out because uh that takes a lot less time and uh, i'm very quick i'm a very fast writer i can write on a good day i write about 4,500 words. So that's, that's really a lot. And I figure, well, I, I got the time. And so take advantage. And I started this little company, The Lost Library. You can check it out, enterthelostlibrary.com. And I have uh, five books that I have released since we opened up shop in October of last year. And uh, I am working on, I have three more right now that are uh, in the works in various stages of uh, being polished, if you will. And I just kind of go back and forth through them so I don't get bored. And uh, crank them out as quick as I can, sign guy, as quick as I can. Now, you, of course, started out in sort of another media doing video. You have produced several document Terry styles of videos about the local Pacific Northwest wrestling scene and some of the individuals that work in it. You've cranked out tons and tons of classic wrestling that you've put on YouTube so fans can maybe not even uh, 
remember so much as discover and educate themselves about because a lot of the footage is old enough now. A lot of the fans weren't around for that era. So you've become something of a historian when it comes to pro wrestling here in the Northwest. What differences and what similarities have you seen when it comes from being in the video medium versus the written word medium? Oh, well, they're entirely, I mean, they're entirely different. Um, they're, God, they're entirely different. Like, I mean, they, they all involve writing in some way and they all involve editing in some way, but I don't, I don't see a similarity, even though they're kind of intrinsically linked because, you know, every, not every video on the internet, but every feature film starts as, you know, obviously a screenplay. And so, but I, yeah, I don't really, I don't really compare them um, to me at least. I can't, I can't see the comparison short of that where, you know, you can take a book and turn it into a movie and you can take a movie and turn it into a book. Um, but that's, yeah, I mean, it's the, they're both creative and they're both, uh, you know, storytelling. They're all, they're both mediums of storytelling. And, but other than that, I don't see a similarity between them. I'll tell you that the, uh, believe it or not, the comic book industry is a hundred times more cutthroat than the wrestling industry for sure. And that's a lot right there. Get involved in that. Um, yeah, not very many redeeming people writing comic books. It appears there's a few, but very just spiteful people. And you don't, you don't see that in wrestling too much. You know, everybody loves the business. It's, It's weird. It's odd. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to do the, the book thing because it's just me and a cover artist. And, you know, my, my hope is my, my goal when I opened the business was to put out 10 books in the first year. And then I would really focus on promoting it because, you know, you write one book and, you know, I learned this kind of from the comic business where if you're trying to do an Indiegogo or a Kickstarter you focus all that attention on just that one product. And I mean, it's a, a year project that it takes if you don't have, you know, the uh, assembly line that Marvel Comics and DC Comics has. And you spend all that time focused on just promoting that one product. And that it does not equate itself to a lot of long-term success, in my opinion. And the way I look at it is it's better to spend a year not promoting and just building products. So now what I can promote is enterthelostlibrary.com rather than, oh, I just spent the last year writing this one book and trying to get people to buy it and fund it on Indiegogo so that I can finish it. Yeah, I just write words on paper now. And I pay uh, an artist to do some cover art for me. And now uh, after a year, I'll just be able to promote the entire product line rather than one individual product. And I think that's probably the smart way to go. You know, get your intellectual property to market as quick as you can. And another, a big contrast also between like writing novels and writing screenplays is when you write a screenplay, you sell that screenplay and the person who bought the screenplay 
they purchase all the ancillary rights that come along with that. Whereas if you would have instead, like even if you wrote the screenplay first, instead of trying to sell the screenplay to somebody, take the screenplay, adapt it into a book, publish the book on Amazon, because now you've established the IP in the market and you own all the rights. And when people come to you to turn it into a movie, you're selling them just the movie rights, but you still own all the other ancillary rights to toys and t-shirts and spin-offs and cartoons and televisions and games, video games. Whereas if that would have been a screenplay you sold, they purchased all that with the purchase price of the screenplay. So uh, I had someone give me that uh, bit of advice and I uh, took it to heart because it made a lot of sense. There you go. I'll shut up now. No, you're you're all good. Now, professional wrestling, especially in the last decade or so, has sort of looked almost like a comic book in a way where we see kind of shorter storylines progressing quicker. We see the heroes turning evil and the villains turning hero and then flipping again. And it almost seems like wrestling sort of got uh, taken over by people who have that comic book mindset. When you look at more modern wrestling, be it on the independent level or be it at the national level, are you seeing sort of a parallel genres in the two fan bases? Uh, I can see I can see the parallels. I think wrestling fans see the parallels more than comic book fans. Uh, you know, when I originally started doing the comic book thing, I tried to start it out on my wrestling YouTube channel, and it just didn't get any traction. And so I started a separate comic book channel instead. Once, you know, once I'd done some videos and it was just not getting views, I said, well, maybe these two markets are fundamentally different, at least as far as uh, the audience goes. I think you have some crossover, but I think it's smaller than wrestling fans would believe. I think maybe maybe 25% of male comic book fans like wrestling, and I think maybe the other 75% don't which kind of surprised me because they do seem so similar, especially when you talk about, like, the WWE product. Because, I mean, it's been since the 80s, right? Exactly right. Out in the last few years, AEW has gained a ton of traction. Uh, they started out with basically nothing, a lot of fans ridiculed them as being a t-shirt company that was designed just to sell t-shirts. They ended up with a national television contract with the TBS and TNT networks. They're selling out arenas all over the country. They're producing big pay-per-views. When you look at what AEW has done in a very relatively short time, do you think that the independent professional wrestling 
has grown along with AEW, or do you think that AEW sort of left the independence where they were at and it became something else entirely? Well, first I want to say, I don't think it's fair to say AEW started with nothing. They started with a billion dollars in the bank, so they had everything they needed for success in that case. Um, As far as if they left, the indie business behind it doesn't seem like it it seems like they're the top indie company in a way because like it's a place where uh talented well-trained journeymen or veterans in the independent wrestling business can go make a living um and i think that's fundamentally different than wwe i think wwe is focused more on creating their own wrestlers uh, so I'd say AEW is probably a net benefit to the wrestling business, but I think there's a discussion that could be had about what wrestling is today. And, you know, it's weird because it seems like wrestling is more popular than it's been in the last 15, 20 years. But at the same time, it's still just a fraction of the popularity it had in the late 90s and early 2000s. And so I think that that goes back to what's being put on in the ring and the type of shows. Like a great example, in my opinion, MJF versus a CM Punk dog collar match. They actually got me to watch. And I don't do that. I don't watch modern wrestling very often. But I'm intrigued because MJF is good. He's good. He's very talented at what he does. And they had a great little match. And then they had the, uh, I can never remember the guy's name. I always want to call him Warnock. Warlow? Is that his name? Wardlow. Wardlow comes out with what I refer to as the Ted DiBiase million-dollar ring. And it turns into like a total Vince McMahon gimmick finish um, that was just like a joke. I'm supposed to believe that, um, I'm supposed to believe MJF can get hit with a chain and be bleeding and busted open, but this little gimmick diamond ring knocks him out. And I think that is uh, a reflection of the poor booking choices. I think if you want to be an alternative, I think that AEW doesn't know what it's doing in that sense, where is it trying to emulate WWE or is it trying to be an alternative to WWE? And sometimes it seems like it's a great alternative, and sometimes it seems like it's a cheap copy. And that doesn't bode well for them, I don't think. I think it'd be okay for them not – I don't want to say take a harder edge, and I don't mean that in an ECW style. Uh, Take a more serious edge. Uh, I do think that – you know, one of my favorite things is, like, uh, I think it was Corey Graves on WWE talking about the winner's share of the purse. And I think if you got back to pro wrestling being about – two men who are wrestling to earn money, uh, you're going to dial the clock back a little bit, and you might actually be able to draw people in. Uh, when you've got all, you know, you got got uh, Kenny Omega out there doing all his stuff, uh, I think that that limits the audience because people want to suspend their disbelief. Um, and it's hard to suspend your disbelief when Kenny Omega is doing whatever the hell he wants and moves mean nothing and, you know, if there's no pain. Where's the pain? Like if I if I took Mike Jones right now, let's say Mike Jones took me and gave me a pile driver 
Uh, I shouldn't be getting up from that. I should have my neck broken. I should be being stretchered out. And they've completely lost that believability and that seriousness in wrestling altogether. Um, yeah. Because I know that in, a, in real life, a guy like Mike Jones, you might underestimate him, but in real life, he might punch some kid in the face once or twice, and that kid who thought he was a hot shit wrestler is going to fall down on all fours and beg for mercy. And I've seen that in real life with Coach Mike Jones. And I think that that adds a believability. When, I, when that's real life, uh, you know, and I can see two wrestlers do that and it's real life, what does it say when they're in the ring and they're taking pile drivers and then getting up and executing power bombs and getting up? And it's just this endless display of maneuvers that mean nothing. And that's modern wrestling. And I think that's why the market has like shrunk down so much because you can't, you can't even believe it anymore. It's like if, it's like if Arnold Schwarzenegger is blasting at the predator in the movie and all of a sudden he turns to the, to the camera and he says, uh, you know, all of you watching at home, this is totally fake. This is just my friend Gary. He's dressed like the Predator. Gary, take the mask off. Let him see it. See, okay, now we'll go back to pretending it's real again. Boom, 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 boom. People are going to walk out. They don't want to see that. They want to pretend that the Predator is real. So that's my philosophy on modern wrestling and why I find it hard to watch. With that being said, WWE, and I never thought I'd say this, sign guy, women's wrestling is the best thing WWE has going for it. And they lost Sasha and Naomi. And I can't believe it because those two were very integral in the success of the women's division, which is vastly superior to the men's division. And I never thought I'd say that in my entire life because I typically don't believe women belong in the wrestling business unless they have the level of talent that someone like Natty Neidhart has. But WWE's found a lot of women who do have that kind of talent. And it's very impressive. And I've heard, I don't know if it's true, but I've heard that uh, Tyson Kidd is the one to, you know, give all the props and the kudos to for that. I've heard he's the one. Maybe you know. I believe he's very instrumental there. Well, we have a game we play on this show. You have done this before. We call it Word Association. I'll throw out the names of some people that you more than likely have come across in your career in the first word or two that springs to mind is the answer. Are you ready for some word association? Sure, let's do it. Here we go. First name, Psycho Sailor. Oh my gosh, I love Bill so much. Uh, Bill, say word association. That doesn't mean that I just have to give one little quip about him. I can talk about him, right? We'll let you talk. Bill, Bill is great. I love Bill. And you know, Bill has gotten so much heat from some of the boys in Portland. Um, and I love it because Bill uh, plays the angry, disappointed, in-your-face veteran to a T. Uh, but I think Bill is a net benefit to any show because every time Bill walks out of the curtain, the fans get, on their, get up on their feet and start screaming and shouting. And that is great. And... I've never, I've loved Bill. I loved Bill before the match. I loved Bill during the match. And I loved Bill in the bar after the match. And so, yeah, I love Psycho Sailor. I got nothing bad to say about the guy. Dominic Hess. 
I don't know anything about him, you know. He, he was just a little kid in DOA the last I saw of him. I haven't seen him wrestle as an adult even once. I'm curious, mm. is, he, is he as shitty as uh, the, the Mysterio kid, Dominic Mysterio? Um, or can he actually He's very, very good. He is quite good. All right, next name, HBQ. Wow, Quiz is another guy I haven't seen in, you know, 10 years. I re- Honestly, I haven't seen any of these people in a decade. Um, you know, once I stopped filming local wrestling and just focused on heartbeat radio and documentaries, I haven't really looked back. Um, I've not actually been thinking about going to a DOA show. Uh, I just haven't done it. You know, I just, I'm, I'm, not, I'm so far out of the loop. I couldn't tell you anything about Quiz even. All right. What about Big Vicious? Yeah, Vicious is a nice kid. Um, he's still wrestling? That's, I'm surprised. Yeah, I didn't, he's I didn't still uh, wrestling today. Okay, good. Is he still doing the gimmick with the, uh, where he's the nut, the nutty guy with the, uh, the, the stuffed monster? Yeah, he's still got Bob and uh, still uh, fans his favorite mental patient. Okay. Good for him. Good for him. I thought that was uh, – he found some success with that uh, a little bit at BCW. I think that the ability to draw a crowd was maybe the only limit, and I, but I wouldn't say that was his fault. T-Rex. T-Rex, brother. Oh, man, this one time T. Schweitzer put on a show in Grants Pass, Oregon. And that show, it drew like 15 people, like every show Pete ever put on, I think. But I'll tell you what, it was me and Buddy Highway and T-Rex, and we were all getting drunk in the hotel, and Schweitzer tells us to come over, right? And all of a sudden, like, we walk into Schweitzer's room, and he's just shirtless, bro, just sitting there having some drinks, shirtless, in the hotel room. And, like, we're all hanging out, talking, getting drunk. And all of a sudden, like, Pete just flips open the freaking laptop and just starts playing pornography. And, you know, me and Buddy are just like, have a good night, T-Rex, because he's sleeping in Pete's room. We're out of here, brother. And just left. And I'll never forget, dude. Uh, like, fucking 2 in the morning, I go, and then the next night we're drunk again. And at 2 in the morning, I, like, start, we had the doorway uh, between our rooms, you know, so, like, you could unlock it and share both the rooms. Um, and the next night, dude, the door's locked and everything. I just start banging on the door because I'm just going, T-Rex, let me in, brother. I want to fuck your feet. And a buddy reminds me, oh, brother, no, remember Pete and T-Rex moved today. They're in a different room. Oh, dude, and the next day, it's like front desk, brother. It's just like, it was a mom and her daughter sleeping in there, bro. I'm just like, oh, no. Oh, no. Nothing but trouble. I'm, oh, I'm, a, I'm a reformed person now. I wouldn't do that now. <laughs> and, and, and I told Buddy, I said, see, this is why I don't drink. This is why I don't drink. Because I, I do whatever I want when I'm drunk. And it's, all, it's funny as shit, but it might get us in trouble. Yeah, it might. Next name on the list, Dash Fincher. I want to go back to T-Rex. Hold on a second. Another thing that happened in Grants Pass is uh, 
we're in the bar after the show, right? And T-Rex is like the life of the party, dude. It's like this young chick in there who had braces. And T-Rex is, oh, I like chicks with braces. They're just like me. It got the biggest pop, dude. I love that guy. And I had to watch him shave his chest. And I didn't understand, why is a referee shaving his chest before a match? What the fuck? Oh, you got me, dude. You got me so good with this. T-Rex, brother. I love him. Okay, Dash Venture. Man, Dash Venture could have been a star in pro wrestling. Uh, I have no idea what happened to him. Uh, he was uh, definitely a bright spot in NRW, which was Skag Rollins' promotion, New Revolution Wrestling, circa 2005, 2006, maybe, somewhere in there. Um, and then Dash did the Shiz Night thing uh, at DOA, and people seemed to like that. I prefer Dash Venture myself. Um, and then he just disappeared. He started working with Ron. Uh, up uh, in Bremerton, and last I heard was he had moved to Kentucky, and I think him and Lila were doing Ohio Valley, and that was 15 years ago or something, you know? All right, and the last name on the list here, Bob Hardy. Oh, Bob Hardy, man. Bob Hardy is great. That's that. Talk about a fan. Talk about a guy who will do whatever it takes to help the boys. Bob Hardy is the man, you know. He's one of the best people in wrestling today, and he's not even in the business, I don't think. Maybe he is. I don't know. I don't know where the where the line is drawn, really, you know. He's there all the time. He's willing to give anybody a ride, pick anybody up. Yeah, great guy. And a class act, too. And if you oh, need a babysitter, you know there's Bob. That's accurate. Well, at this point, Coach has some questions I know for you. He's been chomping at the bit, so I'm going to pass you over to the capable hands of the coach with the most. The hard questions. Here we go. I'm ready. (laughs) Hey, my goodness, dude. You you have no idea. I admire you so much. I thank God for you, for, I mean, what you've done for wrestling. And just, I mean... I asked you how you did your books without a, just within a heartbeat. You gave me the whole rundown and I really appreciate your advice for that. And I appreciate your preservation of wrestling and your documentaries and all that you do and what you represent, man. I'm really thankful to know you. Well, I really appreciate you saying that. That's very kind. I can tell you're very genuine about that. Yeah, I'm happy to help out, you know, anybody with some advice. And if you're going to do a book, man, just just do it. You know, that's all I can say. Just do it and then, you know, send it to me. Say, hey, can you help me edit this, check for words, you know, spelling errors and all that. And because, by God, I think people are intimidated by the writing process. But once you start doing it, you get addicted to it and you have fun with it. And then you get to what's actually the real hard part, and that is the formatting of the book which becomes a complete nightmare. And so I'm, I'm glad that I've learned that. And yeah, I'll help anybody with that. Cause that is, that is a nightmare. I spent days trying to get that perfect. Um, yeah. I'm happy to help preserve as much of uh, everybody's career as possible. You know, there's still stuff that's, that's out there that I've never even seen. Like, uh, 
there was uh, Oregon Championship Wrestling that Billy Jack was doing with Mike Miller in Oregon City. Like that was like I think 2002, 2003, right before I showed up in the business. And none of that footage has ever seen the, the light of day. I heard that uh, I heard Pittman has a box of tapes from it, and maybe someday uh, we'll be able to get that out there too. Okay, and then you got a couple different companies. One of them's Into the Loft. EnterTheLostLibrary.com. That's uh, where I sell okay. all the books at. Um, I'm thinking about opening up another publishing imprint to sell some more like mature content, you know, stuff that has language in it. Because the Lost Library is strictly, you know, for kids between the ages of eight and eighty, and all the stuff on there is very much like family friendly. Stuff that I, I imagine Steven Spielberg or George Lucas or Robert Zemeckis would make into a movie. And okay. But I still have more mature adult stuff I want to write, too, that uh, I actually was working on five minutes before we got on the phone together. So I got a lot more coming All out, right. and that's, that's the tip of the iceberg, man. I haven't even, We haven't even talked about the next documentary that I have. Okay. But go ahead. What's next? And then uh... – you know, I've had a dream of writing my own. Well, first of all, I was going to write my mother's story who had muscular dystrophy. She died at the age of 34 when I was 18. So that was my first idea was to tell her story. And then I hired Patrick Snow, a best-selling author, a publishing coach, marketing coach, mentor, to help me get started. And then I quickly realized self-publishing was the best way to go. And then I learned a lot from him, and then all of a sudden I asked you how to do it, and I was like, damn, I didn't even need Patrick Snow. But, of course, it was still a good investment. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anything you can do to kind of just get your head wrapped around the the concept is uh, good. But most of that you can probably yeah, find most he, information free out there if you look around. Yeah, and then his first book was called Creating Your Own Destiny, and he revealed the truth about that. It took him five years to write that sucker. And right now, I almost think I might be on the five-year program. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're years. working with nonfiction. And so nonfiction, that's a whole different world. You know, when you're making up stories whole cloth, it's a lot easier, at least in my opinion, than the research and the time it takes to really try to accurately portray a real-life event or – like him, he's writing basically like a self-help type of a thing, and that's uh, that's tough too. I have I have a book uh, that I am endlessly researching, and it, it has to do with uh, it has to do with religion, and I don't know when I'm going to be even ready to write the first page because it's it's I don't even know if it's fiction or nonfiction yet. I think it's going to end up being a blend of the two. And I'm still trying to figure it out. And it's like a project that I never know when it's going to start, let alone when it's going to end. So I keep writing these yeah, other ones I, in the meantime. And I'd also admire, like you said, you do 4,500 words in a sitting. My goodness, because there's a couple formats, like one that Patrick Snow suggests is use your first 15 minutes of each day to write for 15 minutes. Then I've heard of other formats of at least write one paragraph a day. Then I've heard of other formats, like when we had Gary Morgenstein on last week. I liked his theory was every time you write, 
stop with one with one paragraph or one yeah with one with a paragraph to go so it'll keep you fresh for the next time you start do you have any formats that you use no you know i think i've been writing for so long that i've kind of I've, i don't know maybe i don't want to say progress beyond that it's just not my style i i try to write at least one chapter a day uh, if I can write two, that's even better. It's kind of different for me right now because out of all the books I'm releasing, what I'm actually doing is two of them are completely original written as books. Uh, the other three and two out of the next three that will come out uh, are screenplays I'd previously written that I decided to adapt into books to try to get them to market uh, more with more immediately. Um, and so that's kind of what I've been focused on. And so that's very different. Uh, that adaptation process is, I don't know, it's just different. Um, writing it whole cloth is it's intimidating, I must say. Um, but it's worth it once you, uh, once you, you know, get that first chapter done, you feel a lot better. Once you get, you know, they always say the, the hardest thing to write is the first, the first sentence. And that is, okay. I think, the truth. Um, so if you just crack that first sentence and just write until you're tired, you know, write until you're done writing for the day. I don't know. I don't think there's any right way or wrong way. Just okay. write. That's what's important. Is All right. Right. For me, I typically will um, – I'll typically light a candle that smells very good. Uh I'll typically listen to, I don't, see, I can't listen to music with, that has vocals. So I listen to like yeah. just purely instrumental, whatever it is, whether it's, and it kind of fits the genre I'm writing. So if I'm writing, like I have a book called The Young Barbarians. So when I was writing that, I was listening to a lot of the original soundtrack to Conan and Red Sonia and stuff like that. Whereas uh, another book I just put out called Galactic Rush, which is science fiction, I listen to a lot more like upbeat synthwave kind of music. Uh, another one I'm working on called Lily in Limbo, which is like uh, about a little girl who, you know, kind of a ghost story about a little girl who goes on an adventure with ghosts. Um, that I'm listening to a lot of like uh, New Orleans style turn of the century jazz because it all takes place in Louisiana. And so that, and that can kind of help get you into the mindset too. Um, quite a bit and that's that's kind of just my process i try to do something simple um as far as what what do you write in the day shit brother like it all depends on the thing you know sometimes you're in the flow and it's really easy uh and like a good example is i did 16 pages on the new one that i'm adapting right now i got 16 pages out in a day and that is phenomenal compared to the one I did just before it. I was six pages, and for some reason, some stuff it just takes longer. I think part of it too is like I, it just takes a lot more thought sometimes uh, when you're dealing with some things. I don't know. How to, I'm trying to figure out how to describe this. Maybe a good example would be I have a historical fiction book that takes place in Portland, Oregon, in the year 1889. And the amount of research I had to do before writing it, I was prepared for. I knew I was going to, have to do a lot of research. What I didn't 
figure on was the amount of research I'd have to do while I was writing it. So like a great example is I want these kids to have a glass of chocolate milk. Can kids even have a glass of chocolate milk in 1889? Did chocolate milk even exist? And I probably had to research for an hour and a half before I actually found out the real answer because the, the first five answers you find aren't really the truth. It's, oh, yeah, chocolate drinks have existed since the year 1650. Well, I know that that's not really true unless you're talking about, like, the way that the Aztecs used to make chocolate drinks, which is not what we think of as sweet milk chocolate. It was very bitter. It's, like, more like coffee. And so it's like, well, no, okay. no kid's going to want to do that. Um, and so I had to just keep hunting and hunting. And I knew that milk chocolate really hadn't been invented until right around that era. And so it took forever to find out, yeah, they could drink a glass of chocolate milk. There was powdered cocoa by that time. Kids were drinking chocolate milk in America then. So that, so that taught me to avoid historical fiction books if I can. Because okay, you don't anticipate that. Go ahead. Awesome, man. And just little subtle suggestions like, of course, obviously, I'd like to make my mother's story into a movie, but why waste my time trying to make that screenplay before I finish the book? Because that's the best way to do it, like you say. I mean, I really, that helped me a lot, rather than even trying to waste any time on a screenplay for it. Yeah, yeah, I would suggest take, I would suggest making a book out of it. I don't know the story, so, you yeah. know, everyone has a story. Um Exactly. That might be an interesting thing to start with, though, Mike. You might want to maybe start with something simple. Um, you know, a good example. Like, here's a good one for you. Like, if you want to start with – have you already started the book? Yes, I have, and I have a sample chapter that I'm looking forward to sending you. Okay, yeah, please do, please do. Um, you know, something you could do, like, just to get yourself comfortable, just start writing funny stories about the wrestling business. And just, but okay, write yeah, it as, yeah. like, it's – Write it as a fictional story, even though it's a true story. Write it, you know, he said, she said, this happened, this happened, that he shouted, blah, blah, blah. That can maybe just help you get into the mood of writing because, you know, the, like the bottom line is typically once you sit down and you get through that first couple, three paragraphs, you get into a flow. And it, like it's mainly it's just about maintaining that flow. And sometimes you can do it and you can write for six or seven hours. Other times you can write for about an hour and 90 minutes, and then you have to take a two-hour break, and then you come back and do another hour and 90 minutes. Those ones suck. That's really – that sucks because you want to write, but you're like – you just – I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. You got to get that flow. Okay. Go ahead. Next one. Okay. Next? All right. And then you were talking about heartbeat, heartbeat radio. Tell us about that. Well, you know, uh, that is – such a wonderful experience to work with the Hart family and to work with Bruce. Uh, and that started, man, it's been, I mean, that was years ago. I don't know. Years ago, maybe 20, 2012, I think. Now 2013, I think is when we started that. Um, I, you know, obviously have built a sizable Facebook page for Portland wrestling and Bob Johnson, who was the producer of heartbeat radio uh, reached out to me and said, we'd love to have you on the show to talk about Portland wrestling. 
And so I came on and we talked about Portland wrestling and Bruce really liked me and appreciated my knowledge and respect for the business. And uh, they did a couple more episodes without me. And then, you know, they kind of kept having me back on to just kind of do co-hosting with Bruce. And then I think by the second season, they were like, well, do you just want to come on every time you have the ability to and, and do this? And run the uh the youtube and i talked about you know we need to take these shows off of uh blog talk radio where they're not getting enough views and put them on youtube and we can add some pictures and uh that really blew the show up pretty well and you know i think that bob was impressed with my marketing ability on facebook the renegade marketing to promote uh portland wrestling and so we did the show for six six years, I think. And then when COVID happened, you know, everything shut down, everything changed in the Western world. And we did a couple of live streams on YouTube, but I don't know, it just kind of faded. Now we're, now we're talking about the pro wrestling hall of fame and what has happened there. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with PWHF and all that. Um, no, not off the top of my head. So, you know, the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, it was originally in Amsterdam, New York, and then it moved uh, down to Wichita Falls, Texas, and Johnny Mantell was running it, and they have a building down there called the Big Blue Building that uh, the city of Wichita Falls owns and provides for this nonprofit Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. And, you know, like you can go there and see... David Von Erich's Yellow Rose of Texas jacket, for example, is at the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. But when COVID happened, they shut down. And then Johnny Mantell got sick. And now Johnny Mantell has disappeared. The big blue building is being renovated. Everything from the Hall of Fame has been put in the upstairs, uh, in the third story. And it's basically just like gone. Like all the stuff is there. But everyone who was involved in running the facility is gone. And Johnny Montell doesn't return people's calls. And uh, it seems like there's only one member of the board who even is interested in figuring out what to do. And so now I'm thinking like, well, you know, if I can get Bruce on board, and, and I think he might be interested, we're going to talk about it this weekend. Um and then maybe reach out to somebody like J.J. Dillon and see if he would be interested in coming on board. Uh, maybe we can move the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame to the Northwest for a while because I'm in politics here. Like, you know, I sit on the city council, and uh, I think it would be a great place for the Hall of Fame to come for a few years. And maybe we could work, because I have a YouTube channel, because I have a lot of hustle, um, and with Bruce and J.J.'s clout, I think we might be able to raise the money to maybe find like a permanent home for the Hall of Fame, preferably in Las Vegas, where every wrestling fan likes to go to the CAC Cauliflower Alley Club every year. And those, you know, because those things should really kind of tie together. And I'm amazed that they don't tie together. Definitely. And yes, I I was familiar with the one in New York and the one in Texas there. Uh, Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan put the robe that my girl made for him for the Real School Army. He donated it to the to that museum, and he was oh, able cool. to use. Uh, they they let him use it when he wrestled with or when he managed at a uh, world class wrestling 
a while back, so that was pretty cool. And then I'm not sure if you knew, Debashi has just opened up a grocery store downtown Tacoma, and he has a little uh, Northwest History Museum in there he just started. Oh, that's cool. I had no clue. That's awesome. Yeah, he's got Frank yeah. Stojak. Uh, Frank Stojak, some uh, some information about him, Luther Lindsay, and then of course he said I can bring all the stuff that I've got. I've got a ton of stuff from when Dave first started, I first started, and stuff I can contribute to. So, what a blessing! Yeah, it seems like it would be it would be nice to see something like that come through the Northwest. You know, they've had it on the East Coast. Now they've had it in Texas and the South. It's time for it to come to the West Coast for a little while. And and really, like, I think it would be beneficial because I do think WWE is going to open up their own massive Hall of Fame in Florida. I think that's coming. I think that's why they do the WWE Treasures show is yeah. they're getting ready yeah. to do something like that. Um, so if there is an alternative Hall of Fame to WWE, I think it should probably be stationed somewhere in the Western states, much like how – they have Disney World over there. We have Disneyland here. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and another travesty to history was the Tacoma Dome had a, had a little uh, area in the Tacoma Dome that they had. Let me see. It would be like when you come in, for example, they had one of the walls had a bunch of Northwest history on it. And they had a big picture of, of Frank Stojak on there and then a big old write up about it somehow they took it out or got rid of it a couple years back i'm like who the hell would do that get rid of history oh well they're painting over history everywhere in the western world you know that yeah i know it's travesty yes and some other things that uh yeah speaking of heartbeat radio another person that I'm very grateful in this world and I'm forever indebted to is our brother sign guy right here for all that signs done for wrestling, for the turnbuckle turmoil that's been on over 10 years now with over 1700 shows, one of the longest podcasts and around and what he's done for NGW, what he's done for Kevin Sullivan. Um, he's went and got Kevin Sullivan hundreds of times if he, if he didn't do that, Kevin wouldn't have been at all those shows. And also, a little long-winded, but Sign Guy helped me produce and, and get my Coach Mike Jones show podcast going, and I'd love to have you on sometime or anytime, basically, you'd like to plug or promote something. I'm happy to, yeah. I'm happy to come on anytime. Um, sign Guy, man. Let's, yeah, Sign Guy. That's a guy who... That you talk, you know, people talk about they love the business, but Sign Guy, it's selfless. I mean, it's really a, it's a lot like Bob Hardy, selfless love for the business. It's not about what he can get out of it. It's what he can give to it. And that's really, you know, and that was really like my thing when I, you know, started doing the Portland wrestling stuff because it was just like, you, got, you guys, I mean, I, I don't think Sign Guy grew up here, but I know you did, Mike. Um, yeah. When we were like kids, like literally all we had was like the local basketball team, and especially down in Portland, right? You had the yeah. you had the Trailblazers, the Winterhawks, and Portland Wrestling, and that was it, yeah, yeah. bro. That was like what you had to do. I mean, you had Wonderland too. You go play arcade games for a nickel. Um, 
<laughs> but so it was such a big part of life. And then me, you know, like I'm from a broken home. So I only, you know, was able to go with my dad every other weekend. But more often than not, I want to go to Portland Wrestling Saturday night and see my hero Top Gun. And so that, like, is also an important thing that has disappeared. That father-son bonding was so important. Uh, I think that's a lot of kids have that, regardless of what sport it is. Um, and you don't, you don't get, I don't think you can quite get that same thing anymore with wrestling. But, man, as kids, yeah, that was like, it was all we had. And so it's such an important thing. And I just wanted to give back to it the way the sign guy gives to it and the way that Bob Hardy gives to it. And what can we do? And shit, you know, like back then, man, I used to get so much drama on the internet that I've never actually talked about this. People used to shit on Portland wrestling so much. And they the number oh, one thing goodness. people would say was this. Well, Vince McMahon doesn't own it. It doesn't matter. It wasn't, a, it oh, wasn't anything goodness. because Vince bought the footage. And now it's completely the opposite. People have respect for Portland wrestling and they're like, wow, they had a lot of history. Yes, definitely. And some amazing history. And everybody knows, anybody who's anybody knows that most everybody came out of here. It's just, there's a long legacy. Yeah. And it's like, it's really, it's kind of the story that's never been told. I kind of feel the same way about, World class world classes have their story told well. And AWA, I don't feel like Stampede has ever gotten justice. Uh, they se- they tend to focus only on Pet and Owen and Davey a little bit and Jim a little bit. Um, it seems, you know, they haven't really, at least that I can think of, made a documentary that covers other people who were in Stampede with uh, equal yeah. enthusiasm. And Portland's yeah, yeah. never gotten it. Um, I have a, I have a documentary that I've been working on for a decade now about independent wrestling in Portland, and that is uh, well. Let me let me just put it to you this way: I finished editing the rough edit of part one, and it is ten hours long, and that's part wow. one. Part wow! Part one covers part one covers from. 1991 to 2001 when Bruiser Bryan died. And that's wow. alone is 10 hours. And so, and I've got about 40 hours worth of footage still to go through. And if I had my way, I would be able to interview a few more people because the hard thing to do is interview people from up in your area. Uh, just yeah. because you got to go up there, you got, you know, and, uh, so I try to get everybody when they come through here, but I've got, let's see, there's a little bit with Matt Bourne. I've got Dutch Savage. I've got uh, Tony Kazina. Um, who else? Do I, do I have anybody else that's passed away? I don't know. There's probably 60 wrestlers that I've interviewed for it so far, and there's another 10 that I'd love to get. Skag Rollins is, is a big that, one I'd love to get. Got Colonel is that for it. The one? What's that, buddy? I got Colonel De Beers for it too. I went to Arizona and interviewed Colonel down there. What an honor, yeah. And then was that is this part of the one that I seen you at SCW when you interviewed Von Hess? Yes, yes, definitely on the brown okay, couches nice. out front, right? Yes, yes, yes. 
Yeah. And then, Definitely. hey, I've told, I think I told you, excuse me, I've told you before, I've got a huge wrestling library, and I have a lot of independent footage, too. I'd love to share with you someday if we ever get a chance. Well, my hope is to maybe get a little bit of money together so I can hire another editor who can help with assembling, like, that part, because that's, that's like a whole nother job. Just find footage of the people being talked about and drop it into the film. And yeah. So my, my ultimate goal, if I can, if I ever get this damn thing released, um, my ultimate goal is to make the world's longest documentary and have it be about right. independent professional wrestling. Cool. I want to go for one. the kids. Yeah. Nice. I'm yeah. sorry. I interrupted you. Sorry. No, it's, no, it's, no, it's fine, brother. It's fine. Um, yeah. And th- that way, you know, all of our stories are preserved from the closing of Portland wrestling. Uh, you know, Johnny Fair plays NDW where you wrestled, uh, Bobby Spiker's place, DOA, BCW, all the drama from NWWA back in the day. I mean, we got, you know, the, the, to me, for me personally, like the best part is like, the first two hours of the film are like this beautiful swan song to Championship Wrestling USA by Sandy Barr. And so I'm, I'm yeah. really looking to like putting that out um, whenever I can possibly get it done. That's like a passion project years in the making. The other project I have, um, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever release it. Like I shot all, you know, everybody's probably seen this Billy Jack Haynes versus Stone Cold Steve Austin official UFC challenge. Have you seen that video, Mike, that I put out years and years ago? I doesn't ring a bell, but I've heard Billy Jack's challenges with people. And I know he was one of the biggest badasses around back in the day. Yes. So, I, you know, when Roddy Piper died, Billy Jack came out of the woodwork and I had the chance. So I sprung on, I, you know, I jumped on it. I was like, Billy, I would love to make a documentary about your career uh, because that would definitely be something people in the Northwest would clamor for. And he's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, brother, let's get together. And, uh, you know, I'd like to make a video where I challenge Stone Cold to a fight. I'm just like, what? Like, it's just kind of weird because, Billy is clearly like a 60-year-old man and looks like a 60-year-old man. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, well, we'll do, yeah, we'll do whatever you want, too. That's fine. You know, I'm just like, I want the interview. He's like, well, what are you thinking, brother? I'm like, I'm thinking we go to Oregon City where you used to have your gym. And he jumped all over. He's like, oh, we can go to the cemetery where my parents are buried. Well, bro, like, I've got all this footage from this day with Billy Jack that I've never put out there. And it was so weird because the stories he told were like, it was bizarre. And I didn't think it was true. He talks about his real father and how his real father was murdered in 1983 gangland style in North Portland. Wow. And that the, and that the blind guy who was in the wheelchair that we all thought was his dad at wrestling that was actually his stepfather, and he claims his stepfather never knew that he wasn't his biological son. Uh-huh. Um, and Billy had, like, and, and it sounds like a wild story, but what was weird was Billy had this, like, three-ring binder that he carried with him that had all these laminated pages 
that were essentially like his life story that he'd collected and laminated so it couldn't get damaged. I mean, it had like his birth certificate in it. It had a picture of uh, Jeannie, his first wife, who ended up marrying Steve Austin, um, had his mother's information. But then it had this information about this guy he claimed who was his real father who was murdered. Well, bro, I just on a whim was like, that's such a weird story. I'm going to go, like, look this up and see what this deal is about. Holy shit, Mike. Like, goodness, it's a real story. And when I called Damn. the I called the cops in Oregon to find out more, bro, they were they grilled me what I know about it. Oh. I was just like, I was three years old. I was shitting yellow when this guy got killed. I don't know anything. <laughs> and, yeah. and I was oh, like, yeah, can yeah. I get some information from this case? And they refused to release anything about it. And I'm just like, and then I talked to a guy who's a historian in Portland who was writing a book about the guy who was murdered. And I was like, I'd really like to interview you about this guy. And like, everything was going great. And then I brought up Billy Jack's name and this dude like clammed up and I've never heard a person nervous talk about a wrestler. This dude did not want to talk about Billy Jack Haynes. And it's because Billy Jack Haynes, used to run drugs for a crime family in Portland. And I'm like, wait a second, Billy Jack, this is like, so in my head, I'm like, wait a second, Billy Jack ran drugs for a crime family. And the truth is, is that back in, I want to say 2003, 2002, Billy was attacked on the streets of Portland and almost stabbed to death. Like, I mean, Damn. like he had to go to the hospital, real. it made the paper and everything. And the place he wow. was stabbed, the place he was stabbed was outside of an auto body shop that was owned by that family. And the Man. story goes, he ripped them off for a shit ton of money. Jeez. Oh, okay. Um, hey, we're getting, uh, well, are we getting that I'm just trying to give you guys some content. Oh, we love it, dude. I, I would imagine I'm, I'm trying to get signed to go as long as we can, but we have a situation here since we did two shows in one day. We're not quite sure if it's going to cut off at um, 5 o'clock. I'm hoping it doesn't. So we do want to give okay. you ample time to plug and promote all your stuff, but I did have one more short thing. Yeah, um, get it. Pertaining, to your, pertaining to your movie, Wrestling with Love. I really enjoyed yeah. Kelly and got to work with him and his son in uh, NWWA when we had Washington versus Oregon. And, of course, yeah. Washington won. But, uh-huh. but uh, And then also, Dr. Payne in your, in your movie there, your documentary, where you yeah. asked each one of them what they're going to be doing in 10 years. And Kelly told you he's probably not going to be wrestling. And then whatever happened to Dr. Payne? And Kelly. Okay, yeah, that's no problem. Um, so Kelly uh, definitely is retired from the wrestling business. Has uh, God, dude, talk about a guy who's gone through a litany of crazy health issues. That guy's body yeah. is like rebels against him all the time. And but he's like a trooper, you know. He's a trooper. He had a friggin' stroke, and wow. basically. He was developmentally delayed for a while, but he's just, like, fought through it. He refused to speak to anybody because he was so embarrassed. And, like, that's, oh. like, the kind of guy he is, right, where 
You know, I'm going to, I'm going to sound normal the next time I talk to you. And so like, he fought that like freaking, I mean, he just went through a host of stuff, dude. It's wild, but he just keeps kicking, dude. He's got grandkids now and loving it. Um, I, and I, you know, honestly, like he's still young. It wouldn't, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if he came back and wrestled a match somewhere at some point. If Bob Spiker came back tomorrow and put on a Dr. Payne show, he'd be there. Now, Bob Spiker, Bobby got out of the business. So Bobby's dad, Bob Spiker Sr., uh, he passed away very unexpectedly. And it's very, it's very weird because he had just gotten a cancer diagnosis the week before. And then he had a massive heart attack and died at the beach. And very peaceful, you know. Was it a good place in his life, but passed away early. And that really affected Bob Jr., Bobby, Dr. Payne. And, uh, and of course, like Dr. Payne was, you know, 300 pounds overweight. And he'd been talking to his dad about how he needs to get it, get it under control. And he just decided it was the right time for him to leave the business. And he left the business and never came back. And it's, I'm still shocked. I think everybody who ever knew Bobby is shocked at how quickly he was able to walk away from the business. And I can only attribute that to the idea that maybe he's just a sociopath because he never gave a shit about his wrestlers, really. And he never paid anybody, really. And uh, he basically did everything for himself. And so it doesn't actually surprise me anymore that he was able to so easily disappear from something he claimed he loved. And okay. And Excuse me. I'm not trying to bury the guy. I'm just big, being an honest perspective on knowing him. Yes. Like, yes. You can talk to anybody, dude. How do you do that? How do you walk away from the wrestling business? Goodness. I don't yeah. get it. Him and Rick Martell are the only two I know that have done it successfully. Now, what about the kid that was 17 with the with the makeup on that you asked where he's going to be in 10 years? What was his? He was. Uh, what was his uh, name? So he wrestled originally under caution, but then he became Dr. Payne later on after okay, Bobby what retired. Ha- what happened to him? You know, I, th- I think uh, he, he, uh, he injured his back a little bit in wrestling. And when Bobby retired, he left with him. And Ian, last I heard, and this is years ago, when Bobby faked his own death to try to promote a strip club that he was working at. Um, oh, that's a whole other story, dude. He had like, I almost had a candlelight vigil outside his house, dude. That's how much people like him. And uh, even though he's a freaking sociopath, he never paid anybody. Um, he, uh, Ian went to college, and I think he was working at Home Depot. But I, again, like, that had to have been 2013, 2014. Okay. That was All the right, last so time hey, I in case, in case we get cut off, how do people get a hold of you? Okay, you can go to enterthelostlibrary.com to check out my books. That's Enter the Lost Library. If you're on Facebook and you like old wrestling, go to the Portland Wrestling page on Facebook. You'll see it. You can't miss it. There's 12,000 fans. I don't hardly ever use it, but then I come back to it and I post for nine months, and then I forget about it for six months, and I come back. Um, you can check out youtube.com forward slash testosterone overload. For five decades of Pacific Northwest professional wrestling, going all the way back to Jimmy Snuka versus Buddy Rose in 1977. 
that also wow. has tons of original documentaries of testosterone overload. Uh, the best of Heartbeat Radio is archived with photographs, so you know who they're talking about. Uh, there's a ton of stuff there to enjoy. I have more in the works. I would, you know, I would love to exploit that channel more and do some live streaming. It's just the producing duties. I don't, I just don't have the time to do the producing duties. Uh, I'm much better at doing this, being a, like a, being a guest who, you know, I can crack jokes and do all that. Uh, I just, the, the hosting duties, it's hard. Uh, if you like comic books from the 1990s, if you grew up on image comic books, I highly recommend my YouTube channel. That's Crypto Comics on YouTube. We've got 3,700 subscribers right now, always growing. And, uh, yeah, I just uh, love to talk about pro wrestling. I love to talk about comics. The only thing I haven't talked about that I love is movies. You know, I love movies as much as I love pro wrestling. Yeah, I always always tell people people, uh, professional wrestling was my first love. But movie making is my true love. All right, cool. I'm hoping we can do something here down the road. Hey, we're we're past the 501 mark. It looks like you're still on. I'm hopefully. Uh, how much more time do you got? I mean, I'm here. I'm listening. What do you got? Okay. What do you got coming up? Okay. Uh, well, uh, right now at endoflosslibrary.com, we just released a book for Memorial Weekend called Galactic Rush, which is all about a normal kid from Hawaii who finds out that his uncle is about to be kidnapped and the really awesome custom car he built stolen. So Scotty T decides to steal his uncle's car himself, and it turns out that the car can leap through space in an instant. And the next thing to know, the next thing the kid knows, he's on an inner stellar adventure, hopping from planet to planet to try to save his uncle. That's Galactic Rush. Coming out next uh, is going to be, I'm working on something. I don't want to, you know, I hate to say it, but I've got a a horror story called The Creep that I'm hoping to put out for the summertime. That one is uh, sort of a environmentalist, green energy movement gone wrong tale. And in October, my hope is to release a book called Lillian Limbo and another book called Megawatt versus the Vampires of the Sun, which I have not talked about this publicly even on my own channel. But um, this is a project I've worked on for many years, trying to make it better and better and better. And I had, uh, last year, I had a producer from Los Angeles Uh, look at the project and some of the concept art that we have for it. And he loved it, and he decided to uh, purchase the option for the screenplay. And so he's trying to get it made into a feature film. Uh, He wants to do it as a cartoon. And uh, so I'm hoping that we can make it, like, as good as uh, Enter the Spider-Verse sort of a look. And uh, that one's, yeah, I'm excited about that one. And then in December, I'm going to put out a, like an adult horror story set in Portland called Luminosity. Okay. And then some good things have happened. One, we got how to get a hold of you out before the 5 o'clock hour ended. But sign has informed me that it said the show ended, but a couple peculiar things have happened. One, it hasn't cut us off yet. And normally, 
they have the British lady on there that says, thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. So hopefully you're still being recorded. But other than that, I thank you so much for your for your time, brother. I think Sign might have some more, though. Uh, no, I just wanted to say thank you to Matt. We definitely appreciate everything you've done for us and for the professional wrestling industry. And I look forward to when our paths will cross again. So I will give you guys the heads up on the blog talk because we did Heartbeat Radio on there. Um, it does it cuts you off from like being heard live, but once you're done, the replays will be the full show. So this part right here will be there. That's what I figured because normally we normally only go an hour and then sometimes we go over that. But I think he said it for longer. Yeah. All right. Nice. Well, then you know because of that, I want to wish you all the luck in the world. I'm really grateful. For all you do, I definitely want to get you on my show. I'm going to send you my sample chapters. And, man, appreciate you so much. Yeah, no problem. No problem. I'm happy to be here anytime, gentlemen, anytime. Hopefully uh, we need to have, like, a wrestling reunion in the Northwest, you know. Definitely. My goodness. I want to do a Bobby. I wish Bobby would just do, like, a reunion show one time. That would be so fun. Yeah. You know, and I wanted to do one way back when Piper was around. It's like half the time people don't take you seriously and stuff. And I, I keep thinking to myself, my God, you got to do this. These guys be dropping like flies and boom, next thing you know, Piper's gone. I'm like, oh, my gosh. He was like yeah. the biggest star power around here, you know? Yeah, it's devastating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Portland wrestling should have had a documentary. You know, I wonder if uh, – I often wonder – if Vince has like interviews about Portland wrestling archived in Stanford somewhere and they've just never seen the light of day because they don't own the footage. But you'd think that like he'd have Pat Patterson sit down for these extensive shoot interviews. You'd think Pat would have talked more about Portland than they showed in that documentary that was on Peacock. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. Cause it just seems like with Roddy, it was just like they kind of brush over it, you know? Yeah, and then Sign's a busy guy. Myself, I could go on all day long. Uh, Sign's my boss. <laughs> I, I can't go. I, I think I've already gone over too, uh, too much time, so uh, let's see what Sign has to say. Oh, no, I, I just want to thank Matt again, and it's always a pleasure. We will definitely have you back for sure. Best of luck with the books. Best of luck with the documentary. Thanks, brother. You guys have a great weekend. All Thank right, you. fans, if you have not, go check out Matt's stuff on the YouTubes, documentaries, independent pro wrestling, Portland wrestling from the Don Owens era, all up there. Search it out. You will enjoy it. We will be back with you on Sunday afternoon, special time, 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 o'clock Eastern. We will have the guys from coast-to-coast with us, Evan Ginsberg, Betty Soletto, and Dr. Mike Lano. So make sure you're here for that. And then one week from day to day, we wrap up Authors Month with Jake Shannon. So make plans to be with us. Everybody stay safe out there. We'll talk to you soon.